My name is George Olmstead. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the uh, privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. And if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that'll be our initial, uh, that'll be our text for this morning. We're going to walk through that as we close out our series entitled Following Jesus. And over the last six weeks, we've looked at following Jesus uh, in the ways that we live, in the ways that we lead, and in the ways that we love. Now, when you hear that word love, in our English language, uh, we just use that term so loosely. So let's have a little audience participation this morning. Let, let me hear you tell me what are some ways we use the word love a little bit out of context. Like, we love what? Food? Did somebody say food? Well, you're speaking my language. Yes, we love food. What else? We love a car. A car, yes. The, the mighty car. Somebody said animals. We love animals. Okay, what else? Vacation. Vaca- Woo, vacation. It is summertime. Amen. What else? Somebody said a kid said over here. What? Somebody said. Okay, you love Baylor. That's good. A lot of you love Baylor. That's great. I love Baylor. I'll say it out of context too. Anything? What? I can't. Football, and then what else? Mamas, we love mamas. Llamas, okay, I can't hear. My, my, it's my, it's my ears. Sorry. Unicorn, music. All right. So here's the thing: we love a lot of things, but we love our spouse, we love our neighbor, we love our cat, we love our favorite sports, or our favorite sports team. We love our favorite show. We love our favorite food. Right. We love and you can fill in the blank. But here's the thing. There is no way that we express the same love for our spouse as we do for a ham sandwich. Or at least I hope you don't. (laughs) You will be in some serious, serious trouble. But we literally throw around this this word love like it's just another word with really no uh, real meaning or, or no real context. But this morning, here's the thing. It is, it is vital that you and I as believers understand the depths of love that God has called us to live out through the power of his grace and mercy. Like, it is vital that his love runs through us. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 22, a, a, a lawyer asked Jesus this question. It's on your screen. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And this is the great and foremost commandment. And then it says, the second is like it. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the law and the prophet. So when we read this, we understand that Jesus, he is not mincing words when it comes to the importance and depth of this word love. As a matter of fact, like I said, this love is vital to the Christian walk. The greatest command is to love God and, and then likewise to love others. And I, I want us to understand here that there's no wiggle room in this command. We don't get the option of saying, not today. As a matter of fact, God takes this very seriously. We are to choose love in every aspect of every decision that we make. And here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul reiterates the importance and depth of that Christ-like love. As a matter of fact, he emphasizes this, the priority of love, the characteristics of love, and the fullness of love. So before we get into the richness of this text, 
It's important that we kind of set the context of what's happening here with Paul as he's speaking to the Corinthians. If you were to look in chapter 12, the chapter right before 13, you would notice that Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts and the use of gifts. And he brings to the attention that uh, these gifts, spiritual gifts, are being utilized in a way that um, are, are out of context. The, the Corinthians have elevated these gifts, especially uh, the gifts of tongues or the gifts of languages. Uh, they have elevated it to an unhealthy and unholy place. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, is speaking to that. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he begins to talk about how to properly use those gifts in the context of our lives and within the church. And, but between chapter 12 and chapter 14, we get chapter 13, God's love chapter. And we get to identify and break down and read what Paul talks about of what this love is. As a matter of fact, in, uh, at the end of chapter 12, Paul makes this statement. He says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. He says, listen, you should desire the greater gifts. But he finishes chapter 12 with this, and I show you a still more excellent way. Paul desires for the church to know this, that there is a more excellent way to live out the gospel, a more excellent way to live out one's faith, a, a more excellent way to be a witness, a, a more excellent way to live out one's maturity and growth in Christ as we walk this journey called life. And so as we think about this more excellent way, the use of spiritual gifts is important. But this more excellent way, Paul tells us in chapter 13, is love. And here's the cool thing. This love is rooted in Christ. This love is, is carried out through Christ. And, and this love is, is all about pointing others to Christ. That, that sounds uh, exactly what we as believers should be doing and living out. And so as we break down this passage this morning, there's three parts. Verses 1 through 3, we're, we're going to see the priority of love. And then verses 4 through 7, we're going to see the, the characteristics of love. And, and in verse 8, we're going to see the fullness of love. So read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, Paul understands that the Corinthians have, have uh, placed a high priority, like I said earlier, on the gifts of tongues. And as a matter of fact, they, they have placed such a high priority on this gift that those who have experienced it had exalted themselves with a level of unhealthy pride and, and unhealthy arrogance. And all pride and all arrogance is unhealthy and unholy. Paul uses this exaggerated tone here to emphasize this. He goes, listen, if... He were to speak with tongues of men and angels, but did this without love, it would mean absolutely nothing. It would instead do the exact opposite. It would be quite contradictory to its purpose. The use of those gifts by the apostles and those in the early church were to do what? To point the lost to Jesus. So Paul says this, if he could do this, this, uh, greatest, do this to the greatest of all ability, even under perfection... If it was done without love, it would be as if he had became a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Man, I just love how Paul 
illustrates. And here's the thing. I think about that word gong, and I'm reminded back when I was a child, I'd turn on the TV, and there would be, I think, reruns still at that time of, of this show called The Gong Show. Has anybody ever seen The Gong Show? Oh, there we go. Now, kids, you haven't seen The Gong Show, so this would be kind of like uh, America's Got Talent, okay? But just at a whole different level, all right? The Gong Show, as a matter of fact, what would happen is all these acts would come out, and they would, be, they would either have talent or not have talent, and they would try to sing or do a trick or, or do some kind of, uh, of talent that they thought they had. And what would happen is what? They would be doing this, and it would be going horribly wrong, and the judges would pick up the stick, and they would boom, boom. They'd hit that gong multiple times until the act understood, hey, listen, you're done, you can stop, you have no more purpose here, right? And so not only that, but maybe you have uh, been a part of a band, a marching band, or you've been part of a symphony orchestra, and, and they have these, these, these things called symbols, right? And, and man, the, at just the right time, at, at just the right note, they, they, boom, they hit together, and it's a beautiful sound until that person decides to kind of get off kilter and do what? Just start bang, 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 bang. Like, no, that's not what the symbols are for and how they're to be used. It's kind of like a three-year-old when you give them them, right? And, and here's what Paul is saying. He's, he's using this illustration. He says, Listen, when you use these gifts out of context, when you use them without the love of God as the root cause and the reasoning behind it, then you're just making a ridiculous sound, distracting others from what the necessary point is. You are becoming someone who uh, is, is way out of line. You're distracting, you're annoying, you're overbearing. Paul is saying that if the gift of tongues is used without love, it's pointless. It's a racket of meaningless noise. Now, this illustration was used on purpose by Paul, because the Corinthian believers during that period of time, they were accustomed to the uh, the pagan worship rituals that would happen, and it's been known that in pagan worship of excuse me, Cybele and Dionysius, there was spe- there were there was a speaking in ecstatic languages accompanied by clanging cymbals and smashing gongs and blaring trumpets. So this illustration was very very on point. And it was saying, listen, if you do this without love, then it's no different than pagan worship. It's a pretty intense language here, isn't it? It's getting their attention. Paul is showing the Corinthian believers here, and he's also showing us today that there is a more excellent way to minister the gospel, and it's rooted in and founded in love. Now, this love that Paul is speaking about is the agape love. Now, agape love is not this emotional love. It's not this worked up or this, this, uh, this love made out of feeling. This is a love that is of and from God, whose very nature is love itself. God is the source of this love, and, and it's actually his character. And this type of love, I want you to understand this morning, this agape love can only come from the Lord. As we as believers understand this, here's the cool thing. Do you realize we benefit? We benefit from this agape love. We benefit from it 
both in our salvation and in our sanctification, our, our justification and our sanctification, our, our salvation. As a matter of fact, 1 John 4, 8 tells us this, God is love. And then John three sixteen provides an example of what that love is and how it is demonstrated when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This morning, it is good to know that God loves his creation. He loves mankind enough that he's willing to sacrifice, show agape love, not based on feeling, not based on emotion, but based on the fact that he simply desires relationship with us. When people place their faith and trust in Jesus, they experience this salvific love that that only God can grant. They're saved, they're forgiven, and they benefit from his grace and mercy. If, if you've been saved, if you've repented and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've benefited from the agape love of God. In that same way, here's the cool thing. Believers benefit from God's love continuously as he sanctifies us through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. What does he do? He, he produces the fruit of the Spirit. Are there any kids in here this morning who know Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the, the fruit of the Spirit? Did you, do any of the kids know what some of, those, some of that fruit of the Spirit is? Kids, what are some of the fruit of the Spirit? What's the list? Anybody? You can yell it out. You don't have to raise your Self-control. I love it. What else? Love. Right? Peace. Go put them on the screen real quick. Here's what the... Joy, yes. Patience. Patience, perfect. So here we go. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's read it together. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Listen, Paul is emphasizing the importance of his love being the root cause of everything we do and everything we say. I love how Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this out for us. Paul is emphasizing the importance of God's love being the root cause of everything we do. As a matter of fact, he goes on in verse 2 and he says this, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, what's he say? I am nothing. Paul is a learned man. We understand that. He's a man of academia. He's a man of common sense. He points out this, that if he mastered the gift of prophecy to the place where he knew every divine secret, and if he had such faith that he never struggled with trust or he never struggled with belief that God could perform all miracles, that even with all of that, if it was not rooted and it was not caused by the love of God, then guess what? He is nothing. Then he goes on to verse 3. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory but do not have love, it does me what? No good. Paul goes on even more of an exaggerated tone here. He says, listen, Hey, we are called to give to the poor and needy. We're called to care for others. We're called to to lay our life down. But here's the thing. If it's not done out of love, then that gift, that charity, is for nothing. 
That, that martyrdom, that, that sacrificing of one's life for the cause of Christ, if it's not rooted in the love for God and for his glory, then guess what? It was for nothing. We see this. The priority of love is above all. And Paul does not want us to miss that. Not only is love of higher priority than all the spiritual gifts and knowledge and faith and generosity and even martyrdom, it's the root cause of it all. Love for the Lord and others is what allows everything else in our lives to take place. Boy, that's a high priority, isn't it? It's the greatest of all priorities. Love, agape love, God-given love. When we think about the priority of love, we also see the characteristics of love this morning. Again, Paul does this for us, and there in your bulletin we, or your sermon notes, we have an opportunity. We just kind of put two lists right there, and, and the characteristics of love that Paul explains to us is this. There's, there's uh, what love is and what love is not. Early on in ministry, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to learn a lot of what not to do. You just kind of learn what not to do. You, you learn what ministry is. You learn what loving people is. You learn what pastoring and shepherding is all about. But you also make mistakes and you learn what it's not. And that's what Paul's saying here. Listen, I, I want you to know the characteristics of love and how to, to live this out in the way that God intended for us to do this. And so he gives us a list. He addressed the priority of love and now he addresses the biblical parameters of love. Here's what he says. Love is patient. Now remember, the love that we're talking about can only be lived out through who? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you and I can't do this in the flesh. This is not something we can do apart from Christ. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, let me ask y'all a question. Y'all have anybody in your life that annoys you? Anybody? Just me? Okay, I'll take the brunt. Here's the thing. Here's what God says. Listen, love is patient. And here's how you and I can help remember that. That when we're trying to understand that that not everybody's on the same uh, level of maturity, not everyone is, is growing at the same rate of speed, not everybody knows Christ, we are to be patient. Not be taken advantage of, but be patient. And how do we help remember that? It's very simple. We remember how patient God is with us. You see, sometimes it takes George just a little bit longer to repent than he should. It took George a little bit longer to come know Christ as Savior than probably it should have. You know, there are times that patience must be at the forefront of God's love. Here's the deal. We need to practice our patience with others because God continuously practices patience with us. He also says love is patient. He also says love is kind. Paul, in dealing with the Corinthians here, sets an example of kindness. This is what's so cool. He's walking through 1 Corinthians 13. He, he knows there's some correction and some rebuke, some uh, admonition that needs to take place here. And so here's what's so cool about it. He, he says, listen, Corinthian church, you, you need to make some adjustments here. And how does he do it? He does it with kindness. He does it with kindness wrapped in truth and grace. That's what kindness is, folks. We are to speak truth. You want to be the kindest you can be to anybody? Speak truth. But wrap it in love and grace as God has commanded us to do. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. We also understand that those are what love is, but then Paul, he enters into an opportunity here where he, he lists some things what love is not. Let's look at those. Love is not jealous. Jealousy and envy begin with the admiration, when admiration and desire turn to resentment from others for what they have. Again, anybody's ever struggled with jealousy? Of course we have. And we just kind of want what they want. It's not always just a physical thing. It could be um, a relationship. It could be um, you fill in the blank. But we're just kind of jealous of what, what others have and what others are accomplishing and what others are seeing fruit in. And, and you know, that's, that's not holy. As a matter of fact, jealousy is sin. Jealousy is sin. Let's think about biblical examples. You know, jealousy murdered Abel. Jealousy enslaved Joseph. And according to Matthew 27, 18, jealousy puts Jesus on the cross. Love is not jealous. Instead, we should have that, that, that kindness towards others who, who we see that are able to uh, live life of fruit for Christ. And as God blesses others to have that heart of, man, I'm joyful that you are experiencing that. It's not only jealous, but love does not brag. Now, this is not hard to understand. It's simply action speaks louder than words. When it comes to loving God and loving others, there is no room in the heart and mind for being in the limelight. Here's one of the best, another great piece of advice I got early on in ministry. And I have had some men who have mentored me in these 21 years of of being part of vocational ministry. I'm so thankful for them and how they've invested in me and, and, and discipled me. But here's what they have told me. George, listen. You don't have to be in the limelight. You're called to a specific ministry. You're called for a specific purpose. Do that in love with grace and truth. Do it in a way that honors God and glorifies him. And allow God to create the fruit that when people look at your ministry, you look at your life, they see God has done amazing things because you were just simply obedient, And let the bragging be about God and not about you. Well, I'll never forget when I sat across the table and I had that that gentleman told me that. I was like, man, that is so true. I'm not perfect in that, but I've, I've learned that lesson that love does not brag. Listen, when you're doing what God desires for you to do, man, the world notices. And boy, isn't that what we're supposed to be? A testimony and a witness of God's love? to this lost and dying world. Not only is it not brag, it doesn't, it's not arrogant. When we think about arrogant, what verse comes to mind? Pride comes what? Before destruction. You know, there's a story of two old women in Shanghai who were discussing the topic of pride and began to wonder if, if Hudson Taylor one of the great missionaries, was ever tempted to be prideful because of his many accomplishments. And so they kind of went to his wife, Maria, and said, hey, can you ask that question? And she said, yeah, I'll do that. And so she goes to home and she asked uh, Taylor this, or asked Hudson this. She said, uh, if you were, I'm sorry, Miss Taylor asked her husband, if he was ever tempted to be proud, 
Asked him if he was ever tempted to be proud. Sorry about that. Uh, and he was surprised. And he said, proud about what? And she said, about all the things you have done. And here was his response. I never knew I had done anything. Boy, that's, that's humility. That's what God wants to use. There's no room for arrogance when it comes to God's love and us living that out. But it also says this, it does not act disgracefully. Boy, I just want to take a moment here. Love is not rude. Christians cannot, cannot encourage us that when we speak with boldness and truth, that we do not speak with a rude tone or a disconcerting tone. When you look at surveys and you look at statistics and when you ask people who are not believers, what is one of the biggest hindrance for you to investigate Jesus or what's the, the biggest hindrance for you uh, be becoming a Christian? You know what many of them will say? I just don't want to be a part of the unkindness and the rudeness and the hurtful things that Christians do to one another. Boy, that's just a poor testimony, isn't it? Instead, we are to respect others. And I know this is difficult in the world we live in today, but listen, we are to respect those who even disagree with us. Now, graduating seniors, you're in here this morning. If I could give you one nugget that I wish I would have understood when I was moving on from high school into college and was going to face some of the things in the world that were kind of new to me and I wasn't really prepared for it, if I could, if I could share with you one thing is, listen, that love and respecting, loving others does not mean affirming the sins of the world. But instead, loving others consists that we walk alongside of them with truth, grace, and respect because we find value in who they are as God's creation. Boy, I wish I could have not lived the season of hate, the season of just throwing things out there into the air and, and saying things that just hurt people. If I can encourage you, Christians, today, please, Walk with a love that is respectful and not rude because that's not what God's love is about. God has the consequences for sin already stored up. You and I get to be the light to share that we don't want folks to face consequences of sin just like we don't want to face them. We want to live in the forgiveness and the freedom that God has given us. Not only that, but it does not seek its own benefit Love is not selfish. We are, put, we are to put others first, just as we see Jesus do so in Philippians 2, 4 through 8. He says this, Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have the attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's not about us. God loves us. He saves us when we repent 
and we come to him and place our faith and trust. But he says, listen, you are saved. You are justified. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to sanctify. And part of that growth is to learn to love others first, to put them before yourself. Boy, that's the agape love. That's what God did when he, when he put his son Jesus on the cross. He put us first. He put others first. But also it's, Paul goes on to say, it is not provoked. It is not provoked. You know what happened? Moses uh, was kept from the promised land because he was provoked at the people of Israel. Moses was tired of the Israelites whining and complaining. He was annoyed by them. He was angered by them. And what happened? He was given an instruction to how water to come out of the rock. And instead of following instructions, he hit it multiple times. And for that, the reward of the promised land was taken. You know, there's a time for righteous anger. However, love that Paul is speaking about is not provoked by simple annoyance. Folks, there's a lot of things that are going to rub us the wrong way. There are people who are trying to, to grow. There are people who are trying to find their way. And man, the Christian, the believer, should come across and say, listen, boy, I bet you I'm that way sometimes. We don't want to admit that, do we? I can be annoying sometimes. I can be frustrating. I can, be, I can provoke people. But I don't want to be that. I, I want to love as Christ loves us. And so I hope that's encouraging to you this morning is that, listen, you, you don't have to, uh, that, that, that you don't have to, to, to continue to think about uh, what, what's going on there. I just lost my thought. I apologize for that. But uh, it's not provoked. But here's what else he says. It does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. This is the old forgive but don't forget. Has anybody been there? God is able to do both, but are we? That's a great question to ask this morning. Are we? We're not always able to forget. But the spirit of what Paul is saying is love will do this. Love will put away the hurts and the wrongs of the past instead of clinging onto it. Listen, we're not, we're not God. And God has granted us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out this agape love as we strive to be more like him. And he says this, listen, don't keep the account of the wrong suffered. Listen, we're not allowed to bring it up six years later. Once the forgiveness has taken place, it's forgiven. Now, absolutely, there are times where and somebody's going to continuously wrong us. But we need to look at it from God's perspective. How many times maybe we've wronged him, and he's forgiven us and forgiven us and forgiven us. It's counter to what the culture says to do today, but it also says this. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. We're getting to the good stuff right here. Love is. Listen, sin destroys people's life. Would you agree with that this morning? Sin destroys people's lives. And we don't rejoice when this happens. We don't rejoice in sin. We don't rejoice in the evil of the world. There was not one rejoicing of what took place in the tragedies that have happened over the last few weeks. We are not rejoicing in that. We hate that sin. We hate that evil. So how do we rejoice? How do we trust? How do we hope? 
when something like that takes place. And maybe it's not that tragic of an event, but it's just sin that is constantly taking away from people's lives. You know what we do? We don't rejoice in the sin, but we point others to the one who can overcome that sin, who can, who can have victory over that sin. We rejoice in truth, Paul tells us. We rejoice in truth. Who is the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We can rejoice that the truth, Jesus Christ, has overcome and defeated sin. This is why we celebrate when one, a person, becomes a believer and he crosses or they cross from spiritual death unto life. It's amazing when that transformation takes place. But you know what else it does? Love keeps every confidence. Love will not seek to expose the sins of others in ways that will bring shame and exposure. Instead, we'll follow the biblical precedent and we'll deal with them in a way that allows repentance and reconciliation. Paul does instruct Timothy to, to rebuke publicly those who are in sin, so we have to use wisdom and we have to uh, understand how and when uh, to deal with sin privately and publicly. But one thing we can understand is love does protect. Love does cover. Love is kept in confidence. We want to make sure that we are pointing out sin in a way that is honoring to the Lord and pointing people to him for that forgiveness of that. But here's what else love does. It believes all things. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Godly love trusts until that trust has been broken. And even in that, trust should be able to be gained once again. Love does not desire trust to remain broken, yet it desires for repentance and reconciliation to be made. But it also does this. It hopes all things. You remember that series we did over Christmas? Hope. We talked about hope. How do folks have hope? Well, our hope is in Jesus. And in that hope, love desires for those who may be failing or lost or hurting to eventually find success or come to know Jesus as Savior or to be healed and restored. But then love also does this. It hope, it endures all things. Have you ever figured, have you figured this out that, that life and people are just going to smack you in the face sometimes? Have you been there? It just happens. It's not fun. And things aren't always going to go our way and people aren't always going to be, uh, things aren't always going to be going for you in the best way possible. However, listen this morning, God is for you. God desires to take the enemies and turn them into friends. God's agape love is an enduring love and he, he asks us to live out this same love towards others as well. We are to endure, listen to what he says, all things. And what's amazing is by the grace of God who is the one who helps us endure, we will endure, and by that same grace, we will be able to extend that enduring love to others. So here's what happens. Paul places the highest priority on love and allows us to be defined by the characteristics of this love, a love that's patient, it's kind, it rejoices in truth, it keeps every confidence, it believes, it hopes, it endures all things. And we are able, through the working and the molding of the Holy Spirit, to grow into these characteristics of love as we are sanctified by Christ how do I have confidence in this? Because of the last verse that we look at this morning. Are you ready? The fullness of love, verse 8a says this. Love never, what? Fails. Love 
never ends. In this promise, we see the fullness of God's love. It never fails. Those temporary gifts addressed up in verses 1 through through 3, they're going to be done away with. But but love, God's love, will never be done away with. On the screen, there's a picture of the cross and the tomb and heaven. And when I look at this picture, it, it reminds me of the fullness of God. His everlasting, never-failing love. He went to the cross that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. He went into the tomb so that the sin and the grave and death would be defeated. And then he, he ascended up into heaven where he right now waits at the right hand of the Father to come and get his children at one, uh, soon. And that's the fullness of God. And for those who believe, listen, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, for those who are living out this agape love that's been granted to us, listen, God's love awaits for us for a lifetime, forever and ever, not just here on this earth, but until the time doesn't end, all eternity. This is why we should want to share the love of Christ with others. As we close this morning on the screen, I've got a picture for you. It kind of goes back to the question, what do we love? That looks good. Right? Man, I love chocolate chip cookies. You see what I did there? I love chocolate chip cookies. When I look at that picture... I think of everything that goes into baking that chocolate chip cookie. The flour, the baking soda, the salt, the butter, the brown sugar, the granulated sugar, the vanilla extract, the eggs, and then that big old bag of chocolate chips. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, just make sure you follow me. I think about Sarah baking those chocolate chip cookies because she makes the best. Like, I'm not lying. They're the best. But I think about her baking those chocolate chip cookies on 375 degrees for about 9 to 11 minutes. And then taking them out of the oven and she kind of puts them on the counter and she's like, don't touch! My boys and I are just sitting there waiting and after about 10 minutes, boy, you better be out of the way. So we're going to go to that counter, we're going to grab one of those chocolate chip cookies and we're going to enjoy putting every bite in our mouth until it's gone, until those cookies are demolished. Now what happens if I were to go take that first bite of the cookie and after chewing it for a few seconds i notice something is missing the cookie tastes okay all the ingredients seem to be there it's not gross as a matter of fact it's it's still edible but it's missing something and i pull that cookie away from my mouth and i began to examine it and i'm like ah sarah get in here there are no chocolate chips What in the world? Listen, I would call Sarah if there were no chocolate chips in that. Matter of fact, Sarah, if you're watching this morning, which you should be, those cookies could be waiting. That'd be awesome. But here's the thing. I call her in there, and I say, Sarah, listen, the cookies are good. They taste okay, but but there's a more excellent way to make these cookies. She looks at me, and she says, George, I think you should just eat the cookie. But again, I say, Sarah, no, no. You put all the hard work into baking these cookies, but there's a more excellent way. You used all the ingredients to make a cookie, but, but you left out one of the most important ingredients for chocolate chip cookies. You left out the chocolate chips. You did all that work for nothing. It was pointless because we don't have chocolate chip cookies. We just have a baked thing of dough without chocolate chips. 
You know, that's a silly illustration, but I think it helps drive home this point Paul is making to the Corinthian church and to you and me this morning. Godly love is the most excellent way to follow Jesus in how we live and how we lead and how we love. We must prioritize love as the foundation of who we are in Christ. We must live with godly love, lead with godly love, and love with godly love. And the last thing I'll leave you with this morning is on the screen. Here it is. In following Jesus, we are called to a Christ-like love that is the root cause of everything that we do. Love is the more excellent way, and it never fails. So as we follow Jesus, let us live, let us lead, and let us love through the grace, mercy, and power that God himself has granted us in and through our life-changing salvation. This morning, the answer is love. But it's not the world's love. It's God's love. Let us be a body of believers who live out God's love to a world who's in need. Let us pray. God, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning.